You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio with just a little bit of politics. Listen along as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today, where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, Hunting, Shooting and Fishing Radio. I am Jason Selms and it's thanks everyone coming back from March 2013. And on episode 33, I've got Sporting Shooters Magazine's web editor, Mick Matheson, coming on the show. Now, if you don't know who Mick is, he was the owner and head of shootingnews.com.au before he was headhunted, no pun intended, by Sporting Shooter Magazine to run their online web editing and news. And I did meet Mick at the SSAA SHOT Show uh, in 2012 here in Sydney, and uh, he was talking to a lot of people, I was talking to a lot of people, but we got together for a little bit of a conversation, he's a really nice guy, and I thought he'd get him on the show, and we were talking about, you know, firearms, registries, you know, uh, uh, firearms licensing, firearms registration, you name it, we spoke about it, a lot of politics, uh, and just some general stuff too, and had a really good time talking to Mick, so thanks Mick for coming on the show, it's really appreciated. Uh, what I wanted to tackle to start off with at the moment was, uh, the fact that we need to support each other coming up to the election in September this year, 2013. There's been a lot of people, even on my Facebook page, you know, about national park hunting. And this all comes back to people sticking together. And I'm very disappointed to say that Mudgy gun dealer Jim Peary was on ABC Radio uh, just in the last week or so telling us how bad national park hunting is going to be. It's only a matter of time before people get shot and that it was a baby of the Shooters and Fishers Party for quite some time. Now, obviously, he has a booth with Robert Brown or Robert Borzak for some reason. I wasn't there. I don't really know what happened. Uh, but for Jim to go on the radio and pretty much put all hunters and shooters in, you know, in the hole and to put us in that position is, is really bad and actually makes me sick to my stomach that Jim wouldn't support all types of hunting and shooting. And if he doesn't, he should have just shut up instead of going on ABC Radio uh, to put all hunters uh, into that same category and to label National Park hunting basically basically a disgrace. And I ask everyone to boycott Jim Perry and his Margie gun dealership and his apparent hunting club. Don't support anything to do with him because you're in fact supporting uh, the demise of hunting and shooting, uh, not only in New South Wales, but in Australia. So if you know Jim Peary and you haven't heard it, you can just type in Jim Peary uh, in Google and the whole thing comes up and you can listen to what he's been saying. And obviously he has some beef with the Shooters and Fishers Party for whatever reason, but it's no excuse. If you don't like something, you really don't get on mainstream media because the whole of last week, all I've been seeing on, on social media is the antis using... Uh, those articles from the ABC against all hunters, like what a disappointment, what a disappointment. I, I ask everyone to boycott that man with everything they've got. Do not buy his firearms, do not support his gun shop, do not support anything because he's in fact a turncoat and it disgusts me. But anyway, that's sorry, that's that's my rant for the day because a lot of people seem that, don't, that have their own uh, private land to hunt on. And this happened on my Facebook the other day. There was a fellow on there that said he didn't support national park hunting either after I posted the Jim Perry article. And I said, well, you know, you're basically a traitor to all hunters and shooters. And basically he, you know, then threatened me, uh, threatened he was going to beat me up, all because he had uh, private land to hunt on, and he doesn't give a stuff about anyone else. And that's the attitude that I'm trying to get away from. And I, if, if you're a person that's like that, you're best off tuning into another podcast radio show, because I, I support all types of hunting and shooting. But... Don't forget, shootersandfishers.org.au, vote for the Shooters and Fishers Party. Uh, that's what you need to be doing at the next election. They're going to be uh, fielding Senate candidates as well. So hopefully this is a year to get more guys up there in the upper house with Brownie and Borzak uh, doing a good job and fighting for your rights. Because if we didn't have those guys uh, doing their job for shooters and, and hunters in New South Wales especially, uh, be open slathered by the Liberal government, which you know, will be in federally this year and state in New South Wales, uh, you know, don't forget Liberal is one of the, you know, uh, one party that's brought the most harshest gun laws on Australian firearm owners in you know, the last hundred years. So buybacks in 96, 2002, and again in New South Wales this year with the ammo bill, all, none of this achieving anything to public safety. We all know that. We all know Canada's disbanded their own firearms registry. Uh, New Zealand did it back in the 80s. These things don't work, uh, and it's just a Band-Aid fix to make, to make Barry O'Farrell look like he's doing something. So... But anyway, uh, check out my website 
for the show, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Facebook, Australian Hunting Podcast. Got over 1,500 now on the Facebook page. Please jump on there. Uh, contribute links. Uh, contribute news and post up your photos of your hunts. I'd love to see them. I love I love the videos and I love uh, seeing you know you guys sharing your uh, photos. It's always fantastic. Twitter AH Podcast. If for any reason you want to email me, uh, give me some uh, credit or give me uh, ask me some questions or want to you know, invite someone on the show, email me at AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail iTunes, rate five stars and leave a comment. We've got a lot of comments on there. We are in the top 50 in the outdoor category section, so that's fantastic. Stitcher.com, you can download the application for iPhone or Android. Listen to us anywhere around the world. After I upload an episode, it's available within 30 minutes. My business website and feral animal control company, AussieFeralControl.com.au. Please jump on there and share AHP with your friends and family that's important you know let them know about the show let them have a listen and see the good content we're offering uh listeners uh around australia and and around the world i get a lot of listeners from around the world too that are enjoying it as well so thanks to everyone that tunes in i really do appreciate it uh, australian hunters international one of the sponsors of our show visit them at ozhuntersinternational.org.au uh, if you want to join a club again they can help you get your license you know you want to chat to like-minded hunters you know they can help you get on your way so ozhuntersinternational.org.au appreciate all my listeners as usual you know that all my mods on my facebook page that are helping out thank you very much and uh, also if you want to go to australian hunting podcast uh, .com.au on the right hand side donations are always appreciated if it wasn't for the donations i wouldn't be able to do what i do and put in the man hours that i do to get you guys these show out there so i guess that's pretty much it for march 2013 i hope we all stick together in the future hunters and shooters and fishers that's what we need to do so without further ado let's get into my interview with sporting shooter magazine's web editor mick matherson G'day, this is Mick Matheson, web editor of Sporting Shooter Magazine, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Mick Matheson, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Pleasure to have you on my show to have a chat with us today. Thanks, Jason. Good to be here. Fantastic. Right, tell us, tell the listeners a bit about yourself in general. Uh, how did you get into, you know, hunting and shooting and also into a bit of a career as a journalist? Uh, all through family. Uh, my father bought me my first rifle for Christmas when I think I was probably about 12. But before then, I'd been running around with a single shot 22 on the farm for years and years and years. Uh, and I've just always loved hunting and shooting ever since then. And as far as the journalism goes, um, my mother and stepfather were journalists and actually ran a magazine, Rolling Stone, from home for years when I was a little tucker. So my first experience of journalism was uh, having the whole thing happening around me at home. It was great. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So, what types of games do you like to hunt? Like, do you are you more of a you know like a deer guy, pigs, rabbits? Are you and also what type of shooting do you like to do? Are you more of a pistol guy, rifle, shotgun? What's your what, what's your preference? Yeah, well, I've always had a soft spot for rabbits because it's what, what everyone starts with, I guess. But I still enjoy hunting rabbits with a twenty-two. Um, pigs always enjoyed that. Um, as soon as I discovered hunting pigs, I've never stopped doing it. Uh, and over the last few years too, now that I'm living more in deer territory, I've done a lot more of that, and that's thoroughly enjoyable. Um, one of the best hunts I've ever had was stalking samba. Uh, they're just hard, they're difficult, um, which makes them great fun. As far as the types of shooting I do go, uh, it's pretty much all rifle shooting. Um, I do do a little bit with shotguns. I've got one ancient old side-by-side uh, double-barrel 12-gauge. But yeah, rifles, I just uh, really enjoy my hunting with rifles. So it's that that uh, keeps me occupied. Absolutely. So how, how did you come up? I know you come up with the concept. You started shooting news some time ago. And, uh, you know, obviously uploading lots of uh, articles in regard to shooting news from around the world and in Australia. But how, how did you first get started with shooting news? And what sort of, you know, what was the motivation to get up a shooting sort of politics and hunting uh, style website? Yeah, I just moved out of the city and I was doing a lot more shooting uh, and looking for other things that I could do. I wanted a bit of a change in the journalism I was doing. Uh, I've always been a, a lifestyle journalist, cars and bikes and now guns, that kind of thing. So it fitted in very well. Uh, I could see a gap too. There was no one doing regular news in Australia. Uh, in fact, worldwide it's pretty difficult There's, to find good news about uh, hunting and shooting anywhere. There's a few websites doing it, but not many. But anyway, there was a, a gap here in Australia and I knew I could fill it, so I thought, well, why not? Uh, my wife, Anne, built the website, 
uh, and I spent a lot of time just sourcing the content and the photos and that sort of thing, and it all went from there. Exactly. How did you come up with like getting all the articles together and getting all the info? It's basically just straight-up journalism. Um, I've never really done much news gathering, um, not in you know, more than 20 years as a journalist. Most of it was feature stories. Um, but the last major job I did have was on a news-based magazine. So I learned a lot there about how to gather it, and it's simply a matter of going out and chasing it. Yeah, exactly. And you're, you're running Shooting News for... How long were you running Shooting News before you transferred or moved over to uh, Sporting Shooter magazine as their web editor? And what was the reason that you transferred over to uh, Sporting Shooter? Yeah, well, I was only running Shooting News for about uh, eight months or so, I think it was, so it wasn't very long. And I ended up talking to the guys from Sporting Shooter because basically in any industry, all of the journalists tend to get on pretty well and talk to each other behind the scenes, often get on well. And they were up near, near my area doing a hunt, so we caught up and had a bit of a yarn. Um, Shooting News had established itself quickly enough at a time when they were trying to push their website forward too that I think I'd become a bit of a thorn in their sides. Um, but at the same time, I was looking for an income because I wasn't really making any money at that point, and it was proving a hell of a workload. I wasn't able to sell the ads as well that I needed to. Um, so they offered me an income, and uh, in return, I could offer them what they wanted for their website, and it was a happy marriage. Exactly. So what's your, how, how's it been since you've been with them currently? Is it going pretty well? Yeah, very well. Uh, I'm not putting as much time into it as I did with um, Shooting News because that's not the deal now, basically. Um, it's effectively a part-time contract. Uh, but, like I say, it gives me an income which enables it to happen. Without that, it would have ground to a nasty halt, <laughs> not too far down the track. Um, and as far as they're concerned, yeah, it is, it is getting their website going. Their website, um, oh, the numbers on there have gone up phenomenally since then, well, well more than three or four times, I think, it is already. Wow, so it seems to be going pretty well then. Yeah, pretty well. There's still a lot more potential in it, but it's a matter of now growing it further, and that'll happen bit by bit. Um, it's going to be now you know, just that long-term grind of getting anything going and really moving ahead until we can get more content, more time going in there, um, more feature stories, all that kind of stuff. That's right. It's good to get, you know, sort of one place, isn't it, to get, you know, uh, all the information. Because sometimes, you know, there's the Facebooks and all that, but then sometimes, you know, I'll miss something or someone else misses something that's floating around on the, you know, mainstream media, websites and internet. So it's quite exactly. good to go to one place and get a bit of, bit, bit of info. That's right. It's interesting because in this day of social media, um, word gets around very quickly about anything. Um, and, you know, quite often, frankly, I'm finding about, out about the news from uh, all sorts of other sources like Facebook and so on as it goes jetting around there. Um, the big difference between a news site and forums and Facebooks and everything is more just the partly the distilling down of the news uh, and partly the analysis of it. Um, what you're doing is you're cutting out a lot of the the unnecessary stuff that you don't need to read, don't want to read, don't want to waste your time reading, um, you're just getting it all distilled, and that's what we're able to do. And then, of course, you yeah, have feature stories and everything else. Exactly, and no, that's some good stuff. Uh, does news and politics interest you like as much as it does me? It does, yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I read the news, the general news websites every day, um, try and keep up with what's going on around the place. Uh, and especially when it comes to shooting, I'm really interested in that, so what's happening within shooting fascinates me. Um, it also frustrates the hell out of me, and I hate it. <laughs> if I can <laughs> take a break and have no mobile phone, no communication, no nothing, and just get away from everything and forget about it all, I love that sort of time. Um, and ultimately, when I retire, that's what I'll do. I'll just go and bury my head in a you know, hunt somewhere. <laughs> but for now, while I'm doing it, yeah, I'd sort of love it and thrive on it. Yeah, since, since we're talking about uh, firearms laws. What, what, what do you think the state of Australian firearms laws is, say, currently? Dire. Um, the problem is we have too many laws that are too strict. And most shooters sense that, but I don't think they really get an awareness of just how bad it is, particularly in states like Western Australia and South Australia. Um, Western Australia's got quite different licensing laws to what we have in, most, in the other states and it makes it really hard for shooters. They also restrict firearms over there based on just what the police think you might be able to use and think you deserve. And if they don't think you deserve it, you don't get it. It's as simple as that. So we've got all of these restrictions, supposedly under national firearms laws, that are proving you know, 16, 17 years after the Port Arthur massacre and after Johnny Howard's laws came in, 
we're really starting to see which of those laws has been reasonably effective and is an acceptable law all round, and which ones are just unnecessary. And we've, we've got to change those unnecessary ones. We've got to put things back into a balance. So no, I think at the moment our gun laws really are bad overall. There are some good ones, I won't knock them, but there's a lot of them that are just totally unnecessary and based on emotion. You can't have laws that are based on emotion. Which ones do you think are sort of, you know, you think are on the par, which are fairly positive? I think the licensing, well, the difficulty, the hoops you've got to jump through to get a license are probably pretty close to the money um, because, as the antis point out, we haven't had a massacre since those laws came in. Now, I suspect that that's more to do with factors like restricting licences to people who do pass muster. So I think those things are good, uh, and I think most shooters agree with that, and even in the United States, where you know, the laws are much more lax than here, I think most legitimate shooters agree that shooters should not be in the hands of the wrong people. Um, certainly here in Australia, that's, that's a given. We, if the wrong people get guns, then we all lose out. Uh, I think other good laws are the, the different classes of firearms. I don't see any real harm in having that, and it means that if all you need are 22, you know, you've got an easier time of it and away you go and get it. Um, how they restrict those, though, when you get further up the scale to semi-autos and so on, I think they've gone a bit wrong there, and I think there's enough evidence to say that they're too strict on semi-autos. Um, what else is good? Uh, I think that's pretty much it that's good. <laughs> it's funny, one law that I don't agree with, um, but turns out to be good for us is the law that you have to be a member of a hunting organisation or club or something like that to have a licence. Now what's that, what that one's done, ironically, is strengthened the firearms industry and the community. Without that we would have been far less united than we have been since the 1996 laws came in and we would have been in less position to fight against them. Um, but yeah, a law they thought would restrict us and cut down shooting and uh, make life hard for us has actually turned out very well for us. So Mick, what's your take on uh, the Australian uh, firearms community and its approach to gun laws? I know you just said, which you said there was been no massacre since uh, 1996, and the uh, you know the gun uh, control advocates say, well, this is you know a win for the you know like for the John Howard government. But then again, we also need to people say we don't want to be like America, and I agree, I don't think we we should be like America. But also, what they do need to look at is which I've uh, said before is if we look at New Zealand also they banished their firearms registry back in the mid 80s uh, for the fact is it cost too much money and didn't work they still have access to semi-autos pump actions still the same type of center fire uh, rifles you know so it's pretty much the same as America and they haven't had a massacre since you know, the early 90s as well so I guess what's yeah you know, what's a good community approach and what can we do um, to uh, those gun laws uh, a lot of it's I mean, just backtracking slightly, a lot of what we talk about, the difference between you know, the United States, New Zealand, Australia, it's a social thing. Um, Australia doesn't have the same kind of society as the United States. We're much closer than New Zealand. So I think there's a valid comparison can be made between gun laws, gun communities, social networks, the whole thing between New Zealand and us, and those are the ones that we should be looking to. Um, and that's, that's one little lesson for the firearms community. And when I say that, I'm talking about the industry, the lobby groups, the organisations, all of the people who can influence it and who are trying to fight for us. Um, lessons like that they need to, to learn and absorb, um, but more importantly, they need to unite. Um, everybody recognises it, even they recognise it, but even as we speak, um, this morning news has come through that there's some real nasty bickering and jostling going on between two quite important and influential shooting organisations in one state. Now I haven't had the chance to look into it and it's probably not the place to go into it right here and now, but we don't need that sort of thing. Um, the Sporting Shooters Association of Australia cops a huge amount of criticism, a lot of it's quite justified of course, but it's a heavily political organisation. Um, we need to not just in the SSAA, but in the other ones as well, and in the industry. We need to sort out some of the people who aren't doing us any good, the ones who are taking the wrong approach, and push them aside, get some, some good people in there that are going to help the whole industry and the whole community. The industry itself doesn't support the political organisations nearly well enough. Some of them do. Um, some of them are exceptional in it. Uh, some of those big Queensland dealers are doing a fantastic job for uh, gun politics and the, the gun lobby. 
Um, Niowa, Rob Niowa, he's an industry leader, probably the industry leader in terms of the size of his business, but he puts a lot into supporting the community and supporting the lobbyists. That sort of thing we need to increase, even down to dealer level. They really need to get on board with this because they lose out too without it. Until everybody unites in shooting and we can get the extremists out of our ears and out of the, the uh, ears of the politicians, we won't get very far. We've got very good grounds to argue that all of the evidence supports us. And so we need to use that. We need to use it cleverly and we need to use it effectively in politics. Uh, until we do that, we're not going to get anywhere. Exactly. And there was a good article I read the other day. I think it was our old mate David Shoebridge from the Greens saying, you know, there's a gun culture in, you know, New South Wales and Australia. But I guess they never thought, you know, I guess you, nobody could have you know, foreseen that, you know, 17 years later, having a genuine reason, in essence, you know, generally for the average shooter makes them or forces them to join a club. Now, some of those clubs, obviously like the Sporting Shooters Association, now have several hundred thousand members. So it's, I don't think what they thought exactly was going to happen during that time of, you know, in essence, forcing people to join a club, which is what, you know, what a genuine reason generally does for the average shooter. And then now that organisation becoming political and then having, you know, somewhat political sway when it comes to, you know, being, especially in New South Wales, being on the Firearms Consultative Committee, you know, having a little bit of say around firearms laws in New South Wales. So I guess it's not really what they thought they intended it to be, probably, you know, back 15 years ago. No, exactly. And our organisations need to capitalise on that probably better than they have. Uh, the people are crucial to these organisations. Their leaders are crucial, and it makes all the difference. Um, the SSAA is, of course, the prime example because they're the big one and they're national. But when we say they're national, what shooters have to keep in mind is that the national body is actually a very small uh, group that you could say coordinates it all and does do a bit of lobbying at the national level. But that's less important than what happens at state level. Um, the SSAA state organisations are the big organisations and they're all individual ones, all in their own states. Um, but also remember the gun laws are all state-based too. So each state has to do its own work. Um, and if you look at the SSAA, you mentioned New South Wales. Uh, the New South Wales branch is a great example of one that appears to be changing. Um, they've had a change of guard over the years slowly at the top and they've got to a point now where they are pushing harder politically and more effectively politically. That's not happening in every state. Um, but we need to have all of them working hard together uh, because the other thing about influencing the firearm laws in Australia is you do have this Howard created National Firearms Agreement and unless you get all the states agreeing, or at least the majority of them, nothing happens. So there's no point one state going through and pushing hard because it's going to be ten times as hard for them to make any progress as if all the states could do it together. That's right, yeah. And I remember, I, remember, uh, I think it was the head guy, or one of the heads anyway, Tim Bannister for the SSAA was on um, Triple J's hack program probably several months ago now, and he did a he did a really good job and asked some you know honest, hard questions of Shoebridge as a legislator. What was he going to do to reduce you know gun and firearm crime, illegal gun and firearm crime in New South Wales? And I think he did a pretty good job, really good job. Yeah, yeah. Tim's been around for a hell of a long time, and he's quite an experienced guy. Um, you know, he's got a media background running their magazines and everything else uh, and he's been involved in the lobbying for quite some time so I think he's quite a good operator. That's right so let's talk about let's get into the bit of the meaty stuff as well let's say existing laws what yeah, positive changes would you like to see made to existing laws I mean obviously we know uh, you know what uh, firearms New Zealand has access to we know Canada's just uh, abolished their long arm registry obviously still keeping pistols uh, there's been a bit of uh, issues with you know, one of the states trying to, you know, get the information regarding that. But what would you say would be some positive uh, aspects that you would change and what specifically? I reckon that uh, one of the first things we need to do, um, but of course it won't happen, is ease up on semi-autos. Having a greater restriction on them, yep, I can live with that. But we do need to ease up on them because they are a very useful tool in situations which should be accessible situations for regular hunters, not just people who've gone and gone through that whole process of uh, getting their professional licence and therefore an ability to have semi-autos. Semi-autos are not the evil that have been painted. Um, and there's plenty of evidence about that, but we need to go into that right now, I guess. Um, I think another thing that uh, should change fairly quickly is all of those little tiny 
regulations, often more than laws, that allow police to trap law-abiding firearm owners. You know, if there's a 22 calibre bullet lying on the floor of your car because it dropped out of someone's pocket, you're a criminal. Now, I've known cases where police have just looked at somebody and given them a slap on the wrist and said, you're an idiot, don't let us catch you doing that again, but, you know, this is serious, you've got to put these things away. Fair enough, but there's been other cases where people have been done for that kind of thing. We've, we've got to get, get it to the point where the police don't have such bullying power over law-abiding firearm owners. We're not the problem us law-abiding people, and everybody knows that. Um, but the way the laws have gone and the way the paranoia in society went, it meant all these stupid little laws come in. So we need to clean those up. We need to really sort those out. Um, you know, the one that New South Wales still can't actually get operating uh, about purchasing ammo, where you can only purchase ammo for your own calibre, that's just utterly ridiculous and pointless. It's not going to do anything. We need to get rid of those sorts of laws. Um, I think as far as registration goes, that one's probably more difficult. Um, I agree, Canada and New Zealand have done the right thing by getting rid of their registries. I can also see the point the police make, which is that, well, they need to know which households have firearms and which don't, particularly if the situation comes up where they're called to a domestic dispute or something else like that. It is a danger for them. Uh, if they know there's no firearms there, they go in much more happily. Um, I think if they had something potentially like, all right, he's a registered firearm owner and he is uh, noted as an owner, then that's all they need. As far as registering guns go, so there's lists out there which have gone public and are in criminal hands, as news in the last few days has proved that. Yeah, I saw that. Um, we don't need people to know what firearms we've got. Just the fact that you have a firearm is, is all the police need to know. Um, you have lists and details, exactly what you've got, what calibres you've got, and all that sort of stuff. It is a shopping list for criminals, that's crook, and that's a good reason on its own to get rid of registration. And then it's just the cost of it. It is a waste. There is no point to it. There's a far cheaper and effective way of doing it, so we should go that way. Would you say you think it was, as you know, like say registration, etc., the firearms registry? I mean, we, a lot of us know it's a, it's a black hole of wasted money that could probably go to medical or roads or education. Really, anything would be better yep. than a black hole of wasted money. Uh, you know, the registration is a bit of a black hole of money. And as you said the other day, there was an, a, a news article where you know criminals have gotten access to it's it's a shopping list. I mean, isn't I thought well that was my idea, obviously to stop crime happening but then if you've got a shopping list of firearms i thought the registries and this is what it was you know generally put in place to know where the firearms are and to obviously keep them out of criminal hands now there was probably one about six months ago you remember that where one of the people at the registry sent out a uh, document to uh i think it was a bunch of different dealers with all the security people's details on them with who had firearms and what firearms as well so I don't think that was meant to be part of the plan to no, for criminals exactly. to get access to you know a, 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 a list of who they can go and rob, and that's not what it was actually about. Well, we've known for several years that a lot of gun thefts are targeted. They know what guns are there. They know where the guns are, uh, and they know what guns are there. A lot of that information cannot come from just watching people come and go from rifle ranges or anything else like that. A lot of the detail has to come from somewhere else. Now, whether it gets out of registries accidentally, whether it gets out because the information that's destined for registries has to come via paperwork from post offices or dealers or anything else, uh, or whether it's corruption involved, we don't know. All of those are possible. All of those probably happen. They certainly historically happen in bureaucracies. So there's all these holes, all these problems in there. They need to be plugged. The easiest way to plug them is to, well, get rid of it, really. <laughs> Make sure there's nothing that needs plugging. Uh, you have to keep in mind is that, you know, say, for example, an ammo list says this person's got a 40 ACP or something like that. You know, some identifiable caliber that says, right, that's a handgun that the criminal underworld wants. They'll go there and they'll get it. But it's not just that. Um, it's, uh, you know, it can be the semi-autos and things like that. But high-end firearms... And there's, there's been a couple of rumours running around, but no confirmation of it, that some of these targeted thefts are actually very, very expensive firearms, um, purdies and that kind of thing. Now, they're obviously not destined for the criminal underworld. I suspect that they're destined for an export market, because once the rifle's exported, or the shotgun is exported, um, any trace of that serial number all but disappears. Um, it's only registered here in Australia. It's irrelevant overseas. So there's all of these other avenues... Um, that firearms are being stolen for. We've got to be aware of that too and not just the fact that there might be a handful of um, 
you know, drive-by shooters in Sydney who need a new gun. That's right. And sometimes I think there's too much information. As you said, you've got club membership details, the registry's got your details, how many <clears throat> memberships are you a part of, you know, people can follow you home from the range. It could be Sometimes I really think there's just there's that much information and there's that much paperwork on everyone's firearms. It's just sometimes I believe there's just way too much paperwork because sometimes they say we need more paperwork, but then it just leaves it more open for more trouble, more theft, uh, and everything in between. Exactly, and the cost of running the bureaucracy go up and up and up. Yeah, but it all billions. This horrible waste that only creates more problems. That's right, that's right. So, yeah, what do you think the gun control advocates, why do they always refer, you know, generally I've saw, like, the article, especially after Sandy Hook in Connecticut, we see the, you know, the shootings that happened over in America. Why do they always refer to America when pushing, you know, the point of firearms control, yet, obviously, as we've discussed, you know, countries like New Zealand, Canada, obviously still have an, a, a huge access to an array of firearms, semi-automatic shotguns, pump shotguns, centerfire rifles, but yet, these gun control advocates, you know, which is normally you know, the coalition for gun control, which is generally about one or two people, they never seem to mention those countries. Why? America's a scary monster, and so it's easy to hold this up and scare everyone with. You know, it comes back to the old fairy tales and you know, all the stories about the devil and stuff like that. You put this out there to scare people into submission. Uh, it's a very easy tactic, it's a very simple thing to do, and with the way American society and crime and guns are portrayed, and I do make the distinction between the way they're portrayed and the reality of it, uh, everybody here in Australia who doesn't have an understanding of it gets scared. So all the Andes have got to do is come up with the worst case scenario, splash it all over the place, and all of a sudden shoot it in Australia are the demonic, nasty, murderous bastards that need to be put under control and have all the guns taken off them. It's a very simple thing to do. Um, it's a horrible tactic. It's a nasty thing, and it, to me it sort of sums up what the antis are like. Um, but that's why they pick on America. And, you know, if something happens in America, all of a sudden, because I've got a single-shot 22 over here in Australia, I'm evil. It's just bizarre. But you can see why. That's right. And all the let's praise John Howard in the media the last couple of, you know, weeks and uh, ensuing yeah. months, I mean... Just gets, oh, I start to just shake my head and go, oh, dearie me. Yep, yep. No, there's so many ironies in that. Um, the fact that you've got all these left-wing people being such sycophants for John Howard over that, it just, it's horrendous. That's right. And there's one thing I've always said, too. I just, I don't understand, like, I never understood the notion where people say there's never been a massacre in Australia since 1996. Now, I, I completely understand that, and that I can understand that. But at no time, like, this is my thinking, and I've said this before in a recent podcast, like, let's say somebody was, you know, mentally deranged, and they're thinking, all right, I, I want to commit mass murder. Nobody wakes up in the morning and just, like, you know, scratches their head and says, oh, you know what? Oh, those John Howard gun laws, oh, you know what? I was planning on getting access to a semi-automatic shotgun and, and going killing lots of people. Um, yeah. But you know what? Now I can't get that. Oh, you know what? I'm I'm 100% cured. I'm just going to go about my daily job and, you know, whether I've got a family, I'm just going to head back to work. And you know what? I'm totally cured. I'm no longer mentally deranged. I mean, seriously, do people actually think that's got anything to do with it? Because I fear in the future, if, they, if the Americans do what they think they're going to try and do, which is take firearms away, all we're going to see is a different type of action, whether that be, uh, you know, bombs or, I mean, you see Timothy McVeigh, you know, he, was, he wasn't he was that smart and he killed 332 people in Oklahoma City, so... Exactly. The other thing we've had here is in Australia, there have been massacres since then. There's been a number of, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, probably going on a dozen uh, multiple killings, mass shootings, or mass killings, not shootings in this case, uh, where people have burnt down on youth hostels um, people have burnt down all sorts of things, uh, nursing homes. Uh, there was one example where a bloke used his truck to ram into a pub. He killed, I think, five people. Um, but most of them have been people setting fire to, to crowded places. There have been massacres, but none of that's pointed to here. None of the connection just isn't made. The connection that the Andes point is just guns kill, and that oversimplification kind of overrides all logic in the debate about why people kill, which is what the problem is. Um, the other thing is that in New Zealand, where, as we've talked about, they have very different gun laws to us. It's easy to get a firearm, it's easy to get semi-autos and all that sort of stuff. They haven't had a mass shooting since 1997. Now, they didn't change their laws, but yet they've solved their problem too. 
doesn't that say something? Shouldn't that ring a couple of alarm bells here in Australia and say, hey, maybe the gun laws weren't the right thing to do? Maybe we should have been looking somewhere else. Yeah, and I've never had a problem like you know, making sure people are fit to hold a firearms licence. I mean, I, you know, if we could get access to them again, I said to a few people today, they, you know, they, they weren't in agreement with them, but I said, you know, if there was a licensing system, say a length you've had the licence, you know, a bit of extra training, yeah, it's a bit of a, it is a bit of a screw around. I think we should be trying to making things at least somewhat easier in that department. But if that's what it came down to, and people did the the training, they did, you know, it was you know, you such and such a license after two years, you'd be able to you know get access to certain firearms. I think that would show a person's you know commitment generally in being able to you know use firearms safely and effectively and under under license and also doing the right thing. But you know, some yeah. people say, no, there shouldn't be more licenses, there shouldn't be any courses. And I said, yeah, but, you know, unfortunately, the day and age we live in, if that's what makes them feel a bit better at times, you know, I'm willing to jump through that extra little bit of a hoop to make them available, provided, you know, I've done the you know, prerequisite you know, in, in the licensing and, I'm a, and I haven't had any issues in, the, in, in my time having a license. I don't see what the issue is. If it was that or nothing, I'd certainly take that if it was that or nothing. Well, just about everything in our society is regulated now. Um, you know, even to to do minor building work, to change a bloody light globe, you just about need to be an electrician now. Um, we have to accept that there will be regulation, there will be licensing, there will be controls. Uh, it's a matter of getting those right, getting them to the right level where we're not burdened with unnecessary paperwork, we're not uh, the community is not burdened with unnecessary costs, uh, and yet we have things under control. We don't need to do very much to control them. That's right, and some of the state government, like O'Farrell and previously New South Wales, they say, you know, they'd never, like Michael Gallagher, the minister for the police, say we're never going to, you know, get rid of this. For, we, you know, we support the National Firearms Agreement and registries, yet, you know, even if, you know, someone did agree that this should go and be swiped and put this money into more, you know, more appropriate you know, housing, medical, roads, education, really anything would be better than what it's currently doing now. No one's willing to do that because, you know, the Greens and the light, there'll be an uproar, and and. Unfortunately, politicians here in Australia aren't willing to do what's right for the people. They're just willing to do what's right for themselves to get re-elected. That's right. And remember, too, from a national point of view, from a state point of view even, there are far more important things to be done at a political level than sort out firearms laws. Um, you know, in New South Wales, they're broke. Um, in Western Australia, they've got this massive economy built on mining that's totally unstable if things go wrong in that industry. They've got to look at those things. There are so many other things for our governments to worry about and our politicians to worry about. Um, if they didn't need to think about shooting, if we didn't have the Shooters and Fishers Party in New South Wales, for example, we wouldn't have had the progress that we've had because the politicians would have just laughed at us. They would have said, what would we care about doing anything for you guys for? We've got all this other stuff to worry about. Go away. And that's right. And with the, obviously, next year, I mean, it's only my opinion, I... I'm going to find it very hard for Labor federally to get in next year. So, again, we're going to be under a Liberal government. And I've always said to people that I know shooters that are <laughs> that vote Liberal and don't vote for the Shooters and Fishers Party. And, and I said to them, you know, we had the harshest laws under Liberal government anywhere. Well, that, they'd be the last people I'd vote for, you know. I, I can't understand why they're not voting Shooters and Fishers Party. And, you know, some people aren't even educated. And that's part of this podcast. I get people educated on the, the Shooters and Fishers Party. So this is who you need to vote for. These guys have done a good job. Whether you, you know, you vote for, whether, sorry, whether you agree with your national park hunting, you may never hunt national parks. You may not want to hunt ducks. You know, it's not interesting to you. But can you imagine if we hadn't had them there, what sort of would have happened? I, I reckon we'd be look, possibly looking at the most draconian gun laws we've probably seen for quite some time. And having a liberal state and a Liberal federal, more so than ever we need to vote for the Shooters and Fishers Party. Yep, absolutely. No, if, if shooting is politically important to you, if, you, if shooting is that much of an issue for you that you feel it is worth a vote, um, there's no point voting for any of the major parties because all of them are the same when it comes to shooting in the end. Uh, and it'll be a generation before that really changes, I think, if it does at all. You need to vote for a minor party like the Shooters and Fishers or Country Alliance in Victoria, Catter's Party in Queensland, um, because they're the ones who will slowly start to make progress on these minor issues. Uh, and when I say they're minor issues, they're minor issues in the big picture, but they're major issues for certain people who... And they shouldn't be political issues. This is one point that I've made a few times, is that there would be no shooters and fishers party. There'd be no need for it if they hadn't been so stupid. The politicians brought this on themselves. Australia brought it on itself by Howard's knee-jerk reaction. Um, otherwise it would have been fine. We would have been seeing along happily, gun owners would have been gun owners and there would have been no need to get political about it at all.
That's why it should be. Exactly. I've got a good one for you. This is always a bit of a sore point for a lot of people uh, and, and in the general public. And there's a bit of outcry going on at the moment, you know, uh, about shooters, you know, right, say, for self-defense in your home. I know John Tingle changed that uh, many years ago to say it was up to the police to basically prove at the time you believe your life was in danger. But do you do you believe, you know, generally in uh, self-defense of the home and the right to take, you know, self-defense in your home if, if, if the need arose? Oh, of course. And I think anybody who doesn't believe in the right to defend yourself is just absolutely bonkers. Uh, it's just crazy. You don't stand there while you're attacked. Uh, You do what you can to defend yourself, your family, your property. Um, I think it's right that it should be a reasonable defence. You can't, you know, make claymores and accidentally kill the post and say, well, it was just in case I was going to get robbed. (laughs) That's kind of (laughs) beyond it. But, yeah, self-defence is a basic human right. There's no doubt about that. When it comes to firearms, um, if you use any firearm uh, in self-defence and it's justifiable, there should be no problem with that. That should be pretty easy. Um, the difficulty we have here, of course, and I think where the debate clouds in Australia is things like concealed carry uh, and the right to have a gun under your pillow and that kind of thing. Um, personally, I think it's, it's a good thing to keep your guns locked up so that your kids can't get it. So that, you know, and even if a kid's friend comes along and accidentally stumble across them, they don't understand guns. It doesn't matter how well your kids know, the other kid's not going to. All sorts of things can go wrong. Your guns can end up in the wrong hands. So I think it's worthwhile keeping them locked up. And statistically, there's more safety in locking up your guns than there is in having a gun under the pillow. So you've, you've got all of these issues that a lot of people don't really want to think about when it comes to saying, but I need a gun to defend myself. Um, the other thing is in Australia, we just don't need it. There are absolutely circumstances where if somebody had a gun under their pillow during a home invasion, they would have been much better off. Uh, and perhaps there's room to look at uh, widening the uh, ability of some people to have firearms as a self-defence tool in certain situations, but it'd have to be pretty restricted. Um, in Australia, we just don't have that same level or type of crime as they do in the United States. Uh, and the other thing is, if you look at most home invasions, they're all within specific communities and often criminal communities. So you're not talking about a general threat to the public here. Um, I think... The, the right to have a firearm for self-defence in Australia is one of those things that doesn't need to be looked at. We've got so many other firearms issues that we shouldn't be pushing that one. It's too controversial and will only cloud the issues. So I think we need to leave it alone, give it a good generation perhaps until we really start to think about that one and whether it's worth arguing for. That's right. I think most people really you know, like to keep their guns locked up anyway. I mean, I like to keep mine locked up, so you know, they don't, generally they don't get stolen. That's my... General preference to keep, you know, you, you know, you got a quite, a, if you've got a quite a good collection like some people, you know, you really want to keep them locked up. So at least you can try and thwart off some people if they are going to try and rob you, at least to take your stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Now it's funny. I actually many many years ago, when I was 19, uh, alone in a farm. Back in the days when we didn't have the same licensing laws and you didn't have to lock up your rifles and you could only send autos. Um, I used to have a, an M1 carbine just propped up in the corner of the bedroom because it was the most convenient place in the house to keep it. And it was always the one you'd go to if uh, you know, a fox appeared nearby or I was cat in the, near the house or something like that, so you had it handy. Um, I got woken up one night because there was somebody in the house. Um, and I never saw the person, but I know for a fact they were in there. So the first thing I did was grab the M1 carbine, went through the house turning lights on, and then fired off five shots as quick as I could into the air. And I'm sure I scared the hell out of that idiot who was in the house. Um, but when I think back on it, I think, well, you know, if that was somebody who was particularly evil and wanted to do me harm, imagine if they'd got to that rifle first. I'd have been in serious trouble then. Um, so, you know, there's all of these different factors you've got to work out and consider. I reckon we're much better off with them locked up. And like I say, we don't need it. I, wouldn't, I didn't need the rifle to get that guy out of the home. I'm sure he was gone as soon as he heard me move and switch my bedroom light on. So Mick Hunters over the Christmas and year period were taking a bit of a bit of a beating in the uh, media regarding national park hunting. Media seem to be doing their best to demonise the activity. What's your take on national park hunting uh, in those selected parks that the uh, shooters and fishers have been able to get through the upper house? There's simply not going to be a problem with hunting in national parks. There's never been a problem with hunting in state forests. Uh, there's no problem with hunting on private land with anywhere else. The national parks will be no different. We know that for a fact. The trouble is we have a bunch of people on an ideological mission to try and block it. Uh, the Greens, um, you know, some of the unions, all of that sort of stuff, they're just, they hate the idea and they want to stop it. 
and they're doing everything they can to poison the debate. Uh, it's bad tactics. It's good tactics on their part because it's working. Uh, they've even got some people in the media, in the general media, completely on side with them and making utter fools of themselves as journalists. It's frightening to watch. It's actually quite comical from my point of view. Yeah, uh, no, some of the stories that have been published have been so full of basic errors that it's not funny. And the result is, if you have a look at the comments that come after them, um, people who don't have an understanding of it and who are fearful of guns because of the bloody 20-odd years of uh, paranoia that's been generated, they're absolutely terrified about the whole concept and they're absolutely angry about it too. There is no need for any of that. and It needs to be calmed down. That won't happen while we've got the antis doing what they do. Uh, I think a lot of the people in the firearms lobby group are doing the right thing. They're just saying, look, don't worry about it. Let them make a fuss about it. Let them run around like chooks with their heads cut off. When it starts, they'll see that it's fine. That's right. And then in a couple of weeks, we might see someone there for the first, you know, the first week, if that. And then after that, they'll be sipping coffees at home, you know, on, on a Sunday morning while we're out hunting. Yeah, exactly. And the fact is that there'll be a lot of people in national parks where the hunters are there and they'll have no idea about it. Um, we don't yet know what the model's going to be like. There's some talk about the fact that parks will be closed when hunters are in there. There's some that it'll be just like state forests, and we don't really know. Um, but if it's like state forests, there'll be people walking past, and there could be a hunter you know, two kilometres away, or they could be 20 metres away. Most people will never know. I've had it happen to me in state forests, where I've had motorbikes come past, uh, walkers come past, all sorts of things, and I didn't want to disturb my hunt, so I just melted in the background, waited until they passed, and then carried on with my hunt. Uh, there was never an issue, never a problem whatsoever. I've spoken to people when they had a rifle in their hands and made sure it was unloaded, made sure they were aware of that, and that was never a problem either. So, yeah, I was, I'll tell you a funny, quick funny story about that. Once I was in a state forest and we were doing a bit of a fox stand and uh, doing a bit of calling with the whistle, and a motorbike rider came down, and I, I was up against a tree, and he came down the hill, and I was facing sort of on the side, facing down the hill. And he came past, and he pulled up probably about uh, 40, 50 metres away, and he turned around, and he was looking straight. I think he obviously he saw me by this stage because I didn't have a face mask on or anything. And uh, he was looking straight at me, and he just, he's revving his bike, and he's just looking at me for oh, a good 30, 45 seconds. And I'm thinking, I don't know, what's there a problem? Is he not seeing me, or is he, like, seeing me and trying to cause trouble? I didn't know. And then he put his hand up to the, because uh, we, we parked our car up uh, up the top, which he went, must have been where he came from. And then he put his hand up to his ear like he was phoning someone. I'm thinking, well, I don't know, what does he mean? He's going to phone the cops on me? Go ahead, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. So we just walked down the hill and, you know, we pushed on and then just reported it to the game council. That was a couple of years ago now. But, yeah, I just he was just looking at me. I was thinking, oh, my mate's there too. And he goes, what's he looking at? I said, I don't know. I've got no idea. <laughs> You know, and then he had his hand up like a phone with his fingers up to his ear. You know, I'm like, oh, you can call the police. I'm happy to talk to him. We're 100% licensed, I'm thinking. I mean, it was too far away to talk to him, but I'm thinking, oh, we'll call the police. If that's what you plan on doing. That's fine. I mean, happy to talk to him. We're here 100% legally under our, uh, our license, Game Council license. So it was quite interesting. Yeah, I've always made a point when somebody does see me, I'll um, give them a wave and if I can, go and talk to them. Uh, and it's an interesting exercise because you find the vast majority of people actually support what you're doing too. Mm, good stuff. So, all right, mate, what's the future plans, mate, for Sporting Shooter Magazine and yourself as a web editor? Any new ideas, expansion plans, just keep doing what you're doing? What's, uh, what's the plan? Short term to medium term, keep doing what we're doing. Um, the, basically, we need to generate more income from the thing to make it grow, but that's the longer term plan. And like I said, that'll almost certainly come. Um, so yeah, no real changes. Um, we're going to keep it going the way it is. Uh, we'll probably evolve it and tweak it along the way, but uh, the critical thing is just you know, chasing that news and getting stuff out there, a bit of analysis and that kind of thing. Exactly. All right, mate, finish to finish off. Tell us a story, mate, maybe you know, your best hunt, personal accomplishment, anything you like, mate, on the uh, day in the life of Mick Matheson. Um, well, two quick things. Um, one of them is that this year, well, last year now, I bought back uh, the farm that my father owned when I was a little kid where I learned to shoot. So I can look out the window at the uh, paddock where I used to go and shoot uh, rabbits amongst the blackberries as a kid. And I found a photo of myself holding up the first rabbit I ever shot. And I was about to go out with uh, a very similar single shot 22 and uh, dressed almost the same way and see if I can shoot another rabbit and get a similar photo just for the fun of it. So that's pretty cool being back here and being able to hunt back on the grounds where I started to. Not many people get that. Um, 
I think in terms of a good hunt, uh, I had no idea. But the one time I've gone chasing sandbar, it took me four days of stalking around forests, of sitting still and watching and doing all sorts of stuff. And I finally got one right on the very last day of the hunt. Um, and it was just one of those fleeting, fluky chances that I got where I actually stalked in on a sandbar and it didn't know I was there. So I was pretty happy with that. Uh, that hooked me. There's nothing more fun, I think, than going and hunting that hard for that many days and getting your reward. That's awesome. What, what did you end up shooting with? What calibre? Uh, it was a 308 with 180 grain bullets. Um, and I took the shot from, I think, only about 30 yards it was. The thing was bedded down in a pine forest. And I'd managed to move through quietly enough uh, with the wind in my favour that uh, it had no idea. The only reason I saw it was because it happened to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it did know you were there. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but uh, it was looking the other way, so I'm pretty pretty confident I got to it without it getting to me. <laughs> uh, good stuff, mate. If people wanted to check out the website, they want to keep up to date on shooting news and obviously uh, politics and uh, all the news revolving around hunting and shooting, where can they go? How can they go about it? Just sportingshootermag.com.au, and that'll take you straight there. Yeah, and if people want to call you about any stories, can they email you? Can they, you know, they want to they want to find out or you know talk to you about some stories and that? How can they contact you directly? Yep, easiest way is through the website. Just email me, uh, and we can discuss it through there. Um, There's also, of course, the paper magazine that's always looking for stories. Um, With the website, we've got the ability to put videos up and that kind of thing as well. Um, Short hunting stories that don't really fit the format of the magazine, all that kind of stuff. So if anyone's got anything that they think they might be interested, that we might be interested in, more than happy to see it. All right, Mick. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. It's been good to talk to you. Uh, one of the, you know, politics is my uh, pet peeve, but I do, I do love it, and I do like to keep people honest and get the information out there. And uh, it's great to come on. I like, you know, throwing back and forth information, especially around laws and firearms registries and uh, legal right to gun ownership in Australia and to uh, pursue our hobby generally unhindered and uh, to enjoy it and to get out in the field. So thanks for coming on the show. I really do appreciate your time being able to talk to me today and uh, hopefully some more uh, some more uh, good information coming out of Sporting Shooter Magazine on the website and uh, enjoy your hunting, mate. Great. Thanks, Jason. It was a pleasure. You've just been educated... And this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.